Welcome back, guys. This is episode 61, and it's What's Really Going On. Um, and before I get to our special guest today, um, be sure to follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram. You all know the drill, W-R-G-O-P-O-D. And subscribe to us on YouTube at What's Really Going On. Listen, like, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Like every single platform, we're on there. Um, but anyways, I'll let Noah take it away. So this special guest was on for our very first uh, live show that we did. I think it was September 2019. That feels like forever. We love to pop up during CBT season. <laughs> yeah, it feels like uh, forever ago, but we are joined by the amazing Maya King, a reporting fellow at uh, Politico, it, the proper person who we could have during this uh, crazy, amb amb ambiguous time. Um, so I guess, Maya, we can just kind of get right into it. I mean, with the presidential election still undecided, what's kind of been your biggest takeaway from the returns or lack thereof since it's day three and we still don't know anything yet? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me back, guys. Um, I can't believe it's been over a year since I've joined you. It feels like forever ago and yet not very long. Um, I'm actually a politics reporter now at Politico. I was a fellow oh. the last oh. time we talked. We love moves. Um, <laughs> so I'm still with them, just in a, a different a different position. Um, but the things that I'm monitoring now, I am still covering race and demographics um, and still looking at how different different groups have voted and behaved. And two things that we know for sure, if it, if this is a Biden win, black voters will have been um, the groups that put the former vice president over the top. So it's not just one or two states. It's a handful of um, major cities and metropolitan areas that have flipped blue. And these cities have really large black populations. So Milwaukee and Wisconsin, Detroit and Michigan, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, Atlanta and Georgia, if, oh. um, if Georgia does indeed flip blue, um, which is looking more and more like a real thing. Yeah. So that's one major trend that I've been following and reporting on. And another thing um, that I've been looking at has been um, really the consistency of white voters. I think going into this election, um, a lot of the polls, which we know were kind of off now, but going in showed us that this might be a situation where Trump loses because the white voters that made up his base, like white women, college-aged white voters, white uh, seniors would uh, move further away from him. But what we see right now with the returns, which of course exit polls really have to be taken with a grain of salt. So I'm, I'm trying not to like perpetuate or like add too much uh, weight to them, but I think they do kind of help inform the direction that we're headed. And white voters from those have really stuck with the president. Mm. Um, like women actually, um, you know, within the margin of error, have seen a little bit of growth right now. Um, white Republicans, of course, have, have held the line with the president as well. And um, in places like Florida, which is home to a large population of, of white uh, seniors, there was some movement away from President Trump, but not a lot. And, and certainly not enough to, 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 uh, deliver him a, to deliver Biden a win in Florida. So those are, the, those are the trends that I'm really looking at right now. And I'm sure as things continue to unfold and um, given the events of tonight devolve, <laughs> we all have more to say. Right. Oh, uh, um, oh, go ahead, Henry. 
I was gonna say, cause like I was, I've been in and out. I'm just saying like that. And with that many cats, I'll tune in at certain points. And I was listening to where, and that's what I want to ask, cause you said, if I heard you correctly or understood it correctly, at least, um, like white voters have been voting a little different. And I know on MSNBC they were saying like it, it was a I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a city saying like. Um, you know, America, the people, the powers that may be, whomever like to like assert claims like the black people didn't vote as much or whatever. But like I or in him, he said he noticed like white people, they're voting, but in favor of Trump. So it's like in a question, it's a question to me of like division and where to, where do we stand as a country in these people? And I guess I, I don't know if I understood correctly or something, but I was just, I guess curious to see go back go deeper into that because like I know in 2016 white women carry Trump uh, so like I kind of want to explore that. Um, well, I, well, you know it's true that we are a deeply divided country, and I think more so than we thought. Um, and the results of this election, with nearly 70 million voters that have voted for Trump, shows us just how divided we are. So, um, you know. I, I, I think these next 24 to 48 hours are really going to be pivotal in seeing how people act on those divisions. That's really the conversation that we're having now, especially after the president's address. Um, this is a really timely podcast. I mean, just an hour ago, the yeah. president spoke from, yeah. oh, I keep, hold on. Sorry, guys. <laughs> the president spoke from, um, from you know, the, the Oval Office and used the power of, of, of the presidency to try to delegitimize perfectly legitimate votes. And again, you know, a large portion, right? It's the second time, exactly. And so a large portion of the 70 million people who voted for Trump listen to what he says, believe that it's true, and are willing to, um, are willing to act on, on it. So uh, this is really a pivotal time. I mean, it's not like he's not doing anything that he said he was going to do. And, um, you know, I, I think I think we're just looking at a really tense situation of of just how the division in this country could also bring it to its knees. Right, because Mackenzie, you can go out of this, but like, um, I I just want to say this because I was on Twitter and yesterday or last sometime, and it was some news station in Virginia, and they were talking to this Trump supporter who was in his like force like literally training how to his son how to shoot a gun and he was like well yeah if he gets started off it's gonna be a prop it, i'm like what the like he basically about to say i'm gonna go out here and, you know what i'm saying now let that would have been me or my homeboy down the street we would have been like you know what I'm saying? that video would have you know hey police sir so to me that's crazy man <laughs> It that's is crazy. crazy. I, I mean, that's why progressives were saying, or I won't say progressives, but, um, you know, activists and uh, folks who were familiar with the situation were telling people, prepare for a scenario in which you might need to be in the house for a week or two. Mm. And again, crazy. this looks very clearly like a Biden win, but the fallout from that um, is just really going to be something. That, that that could that could potentially become a dangerous situation mm. and it's all rooted in 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 the uh the racial hypocrisy i think of this country mm. and the fact that this president has really played to white grievance politics um 
And of course, Biden has taken the position of, of healing and, and reuniting uh, the country. But it, at this point, um, given what I've reported, who I've talked to, um, and, and just what I've seen, and then pairing that with my own experience as a Black American, it is very um, difficult for me to see what, re what reuniting this country post-Trump what that's really going to look like and whether that's something that can even be accomplished in four years under what is, you know, ostensibly a really moderate uh, democratic ticket. Speaking of uniting the country, you like, you wrote about of um, Democrats pushing black men and trying to engage black men, but Biden didn't really perform well with black men. Why, what do you think about that? Like, what do you, I do think that there's like a, there's something missing with black men or they're missing something. And I just want to know your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I'll start by saying, um, you know, Biden still got over 80% of the black male vote. Mm -hmm. Trump's goal was to try to shave off 20% of, of black men and they got pretty close, but by and large, black men still voted for the democratic ticket. And that's a sign that Trump's talking points about the crime bill and Biden's role in that, um, about his own accomplishments via the First Step Act of criminal justice. And I mean, trying to employ people like, or deploy, I guess, people like Ice Cube and, and Lil Wayne and others, like maybe had an impact, especially among younger black men. But overall, like, it's still a, a resounding victory for Biden with black men. Now, compared to the like 90, I think we're at 91, 92% yeah, of black women who voted for Democrats and have consistently voted for, for Democrats and never, you know, swayed away. I think it's true to say that uh, Democrats do have, um, hmm, a challenge in their outreach to black men, but they really, I mean, really pulled out all of the stops. I would actually be curious to hear from the black men on this panel, how you feel about Democrats outreach to, um, to black men, because I've been following those developments now for over a year. And it seems like all I was seeing was lots and lots of um, black male surrogates for Democrats, like flying to places like Milwaukee, or Columbia, South Carolina, or Chicago, or Oakland, or Atlanta, like really black cities, and then going to a handful of barber shops there, sitting down with who, with with like whoever they've chosen to sit down with, or whoever happens to be in the barber shop, and then like talking about the issues um, and figuring out how they refine their messaging. Like I don't know if that's a if that's a a winning strategy or not. I don't, um, I don't think it is. I mean, I think that, I mean, you're someone who covers campaigns. So, because you said a lot of stuff I wouldn't comment on, but I've been talking a lot. So no, go ahead. No, I mean, I think it, you cover campaigns, Maya. So I think you know that that kind of strategy um, is only kind of reserved for blacks and Latinos, like white voters in, in suburban areas and rural areas don't get that kind of touch that's kind of just very canned it's very we're going to do this type of media we're going to do these type of input we're going to release these types of policies that are specific i think that it's a problem that i think biden had 
uh, also that I think Democrats in general have, and that I think that they reach out to us in the ways they think we want to. And I think that, I mean, you talk to campaign people, not a lot of black people are making the decisions of where candidates go and how they speak and what they do. Um, and I think sometimes that can show. Um, so I just think that it's oftentimes very stereotypical of, oh, you go to the barbershop when it's like, one, yeah, COVID. like I was, was COVID, so I was, I'm not at the barbershop. So what? How else are you trying to reach me on like on a logistical way? But 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 to that point though, there was that clip of Kamala like at the doing the sneaker whatever, I and people that, hated her for that. So it's, yeah, it's, I think that like, was the problem too. What are the too. solutions? Not, what do you? Where? Well, hold on, Henry. Um, where can <laughs> they meet you? Because it's like if they do too much, then they come off corny, and then it's like. That's what, exactly what, what I was about to say. Is but where? What are the solutions? Maya pointed out a great point for me, at least, because I have this friend who likes to say Biden is just as bad as Trump, which I don't understand. But that's another story for another day. Point is, I think Trump I, he wanted to hit young voters, like young black voters, and he very much done, did that. Uh, <clears throat> to say to like Mackenzie's point. It's like we live in this generation of people who like they, they it's like you're you're on my side how I want you to be or you're just against me right and when we analyze like black males across the board like they're less educated than black women so when you think about like critically analyzing how these people are affecting your daily lives they might not be doing that right so they're like they hear trigger words trigger things. oh he passed the most black uh the police reform okay let's analyze that his uh, attorney general stopping half of that from happening right so if you're just hearing trigger words, you're going to run off of that. And like, if you are voting, because most black young men don't vote, um, then, you know. But you even then, Henry, I want to stop you there, because that's that's not even true either. Mm -hmm. A lot of black men don't feel compelled to vote. But right. if you look if you look at the data, I mean, We're voting. Compared, yeah. compared to other ethnic groups, any, right I, don't, I don't know about any other, but a majority black voters across ages genders and de like across demographics have higher turnout rates than almost any oh, no, other i'm group. not saying that at all i am saying like the black male vote tends to be down or trend toward him from what i've like observed okay all right okay that's what i'm saying <laughs> that's what i'm saying let me clarify i think like we black people overwhelmingly vote like i'm not saying we don't i'm saying black males especially younger black males it seems like if they are voting, if they are voting now, it seems they be they tend to go his way or like have a defense as to why Biden is X, Y, and Z. And like for me, I guess I've analyzed or, or received like I've seen his record and he's tried. You know, he's not perfect. Nobody is perfect. They're politicians at the end of the day. But like I can see how like when Trump is baiting him on a stage and he's avoiding using certain triggering language that, you know, directly speaks to you know, angsting up a certain group of people. Maya, and I know I think... this, uh, no, I was gonna say, I know this question is kind of like often said, and I don't want to ask it in the traditional way, but do you think that the Biden campaign made a genuine attempt to not have such a dip? Because I, it doesn't seem like, to me as a black male, I don't think that the Biden, you know, the Biden campaign, they had kind of moments, but I don't think that they did anything specifically targeting us. You know, you can even say black men, you can even say kind of black people in general. And I think that, do you think that the campaign was just kind of like, we'll get it and it'll come, but let's focus. Is and that, like the next question we have kind of gets at this, but 
do you think they were just kind of like, it'll come and let's go figure out something else? So what I know is that in 2016, a large number, uh, larger than um, several previous elections of black male voters either stayed home, voted third party, which, which hurt Hillary Clinton, or voted for Donald Trump. Um, and Democrats saw that pattern, knew that 2020 was going to be a close race that came down to the margins and did what they could to um, go after the black male vote and shore up black enthusiasm for the nominee. They hired up a bunch of black operatives at the DNC. Yeah, they um, yeah. The call them black operatives is so funny. <laughs> that's what they are. That's what though. they I are. Mean, they're just, yeah. That's what they are. Secret and, black weapon. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's, that's exactly what they were though, right? Because, because they knew and they listened to them. They listened to them. They're like our age. Um, and the Biden campaign also has a, a really strong showing of, of young black um, press uh, secretaries yeah. and, and staffers. And they listened to them, tried to kind of modernize their approach. Um, and it's, but it's so interesting to hear you and Noah and Henry say that they didn't do anything. That means it didn't reach everyone. That's what Lord. that means. Yeah, that's me and, McKay, me, me and McKenzie's favorite line. They're not doing enough because say say like, because that's what I said. I, I wouldn't even know what's question because he said that they didn't try at all. I think they acknowledged no. black people knowing that black women overwhelmingly supported the Democrat Party. But I don't think that they directly tried to engage with black men. So Henry, like, I'll, I'll actually, I'll actually, I'll actually rephrase what I said. Um, I think... I think the Trump campaign probably did do what you should have done. They went on stuff like Kamala did go on complex sneakers and Biden did go on decent and marrow. He did do the typical kind of hits that you would want someone who is, ex who tries to be exposed to young black men. I think that at a certain point, maybe this is coming from my privilege as someone who went to college and who like, I, who has a certain amount of status. This is That's my privilege point. in this. But I think that at a certain point, they don't take me as someone who understands substance. And mm. that at a certain point, I need, to, they, thank I need you to Noah, Thank you. Okay. I, so so I, I, I have thoughts on that because that was one, I, one thing I was hoping I got at in my, in my Black male outreach story, um, but didn't have a chance to really lay out, which is that really both parties have an issue with their Black outreach. Mm -hmm. So Black women see voting for Democrats as a survival vote it's no question that we're gonna vote for Democrats because we're like, obviously this is the best option. Black right. men tend to be like, mm, what is in it for me though? What do, what do you have for me specifically? <laughs> but the, the problem though, there's nothing wrong with that either. No, I, yeah. um, but Democrats and Republicans really seem to couch their outreach to black voters in criminal justice, in culture, yeah. and, and in, I mean, in things like 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 appearance or or economic uh, revitalization, black business. I mean, there is of course HBCU outreach. There are a handful of policies for housing and for healthcare that um, really speak to like are very clear examples um, of of Democrats like listening to what black voters are saying. But there's not a lot. I'm not seeing a lot of commitment 
to real solid policy outside of mass incarceration. I mean, that's like one thing that black voters really care about, but we also, black men also really care about jobs. Black men really care about education. And I feel like they're trying to say that, but all they're being met with, all black voters are really, are, were met with on the campaign trail by and large were barbershop talks, yeah. um, HBCU rallies, small listening sessions for policy and, and to, to make sure that, you know, there was proof of them listening and doing the outreach. But I think you're right. I mean, if you are, if you both are saying you don't feel like you were talked to or reached out to, or that there wasn't a message for you. Um, I mean, I, th I think that's, that's, that's kind of one example. And, and even, even, even in the face of, of you acknowledging your privilege. And, and the funny thing is like, I'll like, this is like for me, for Mackenzie, like, I think as like the black woman of our crew, like, I think, do you feel that way? Because I think that, you know, do I feel like they were talking to black women. Yeah. Cause I think that they often tried to do like the mothers of the movement and have mothers who are, you know, the, the mothers who are people who are killed by police violence. Mackenzie, you don't have kids. So like, like, yeah, you have, I know. That's you have the... all of these other concerns. Do you think that they were addressed? Like transportation, education, housing affordability, all these you know other that things. You know way that the people keep trying to attack? Like no. you think. I mean, yeah. I'll say this. So before, so for Biden, when he was by himself, I, I mean, I didn't have high expectations for, you know, and I hate to sound yeah. like that, but like, it's an older white man. I really didn't have expectations other than, you know, the standard like um, student loans and healthcare and stuff like that. But with Kamala, I don't know. If I feel like she specifically spoke to me, but I think her presence kind mm. of might have just been able to like, we don't have to like address this head head on. Like she never, one thing with me though, that I was super like impressed with, with Elizabeth Bryden, she like before everything started happening and stuff, she had talked about, you know, black women giving birth. And I don't mm -hmm. remember Kamala mentioning that. So alarm, that was an alarm for me that Warren had my attention. So even mm -hmm. now, I don't know if Kamala's talked about anything like but that. But we talked about that early, like yeah. doing something that affects black women that no one else is talking about. Yeah, so I don't know if Kamala did that. And, I, and if she did, then I missed that. But um, I do feel like there wasn't a necessary push for her to directly come at black women because I feel like her presence and like, I'm a black woman. So y'all should already know I'm for y'all, you know? So that's my take. It's, it's very interesting to hear you say that Mackenzie, because you're a young black woman too. So that's already a different, a different demographic. And yeah. hearing you, Noah, hearing you ask if, if we feel like we're spoken to, my first response is as a black woman voter, it's already assumed that I'm going to vote. It's already yeah. assumed that, and it's, yeah. it's automatically yeah. assumed that I'm going to vote Democratic. So frankly, it doesn't matter if I feel spoken to or not. Yeah. And I know that the Democrats yeah. really had to straddle that line between representation and built-in support. Because what they also know, though, is that Black women are so powerful, not only because they vote at large numbers, but they galvanize their communities and their families to vote. Yeah. And so putting Harris at the top of the ticket was representation that was super important which Mackenzie you um you confirmed and and it was enthusiasm um as a senator you know senator harris has acknowledged um the health challenges facing black women she mm. tried to get a bill through the senate on um fibroid cancer which is something that disproportionately impacts black women as a result of um under diagnosis she's done a couple of other bills um she was one of the first senators to take a meeting with black lives matter and set up a meeting yeah. between um, the movement for Black Lives and the Congressional Black Caucus. We know that, I mean, we have to take that with a grain of salt because no one in the CBC was ever going to give uh, 
Black Lives Matter a serious policy platform, and they're definitely not now, um, which is another conversation. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think you know it it almost is like inconsequential. I mean, it is con- it was consequential. Representation matters, but it was also very much a dance. I think for Democrats between you know ginning up black enthusiasm, working with black voters and and their black staffers, and also making sure that they were winning the people they needed at the margins. Yeah, speaking who are of that, mainly black men. Speaking of that, I think one thing that I think that has like bothered me, not bothered me a lot, but I think that's kind of grinded my gears about the Biden campaign. I think now it's coming to fruition. And you mentioned it earlier. Um, the Biden campaign made a, like a really targeted decision to go after, you know, moderate Republicans and air quotes and suburban voters, some of which they got, but the margin that they thought they would get is definitely probably not where they expected. I think when I saw like exit poll, like you said, taken with a grain of salt, it was uh, white voters were 56 to 42 in favor of Trump, um, which is not far from Trump's 2016 number. Um, do you think the Biden campaign put too much faith in appearing to these voters or appearing or appealing to white voters on decency, assuming that they would support him? Because I think my biggest issue is you're appealing to people on this idea that they just don't believe of... <laughs> You're going to make me, um, because it's like, for me, I feel like the, like you just said, like, I feel like these, and I think me and McKenzie know, always talk about this, how Democrats try to like, they still try to be like this white apologist almost to where they try to appeal to these people that do not like, they're not supporting you. They don't care about your party X, Y, Z. We clearly know that your base is black and minority. Sometimes you might have a few of them, but majority not. So it's like for us, I think this is what Noah asking, is how is the DNC or the Democratic Party going to start taking the Black vote serious as if it's not just a guaranteed thing? Y'all are about to make me take off my uh, journalist hat and put on my Howard hat. My- <laughs> you know we call what's, re- what's really going on, you know what I'm saying? What's happening? And y'all... And y'all tackle it. Y'all about to make me put on my uh my Dr. Carr uh, political science analyst oh, hat because because I think that's exactly it. I mean, okay, let's let's just say let's just you know start with Stacey Abrams' 2018 strategy that is literally the reason why Democrats are winning the the White House right now because yeah. she said in 2018 we need to stop going after white moderates and start actually going after the voters who feel who haven't voted because their vote has either been suppressed um, or they or it's been suppressed by virtue of them just being apathetic about the entire system and not wanting to vote at all Um, which really is kind of I think we can make the argument that that in itself voter apathy as a result of diminishing returns to black voters is a form of soft voter suppression Mm. anyways um, and so, I mean, and that's, that's winning Democrats. That is currently what is, what is closing the gap between Biden and Trump in Georgia and could be what wins Democrats. That state is not going after white moderates, going after apathetic black voters, low income voters who don't feel like they have been heard, um, rural white voters who also could be swayed. I mean, these are groups that are in play for Democrats, um, yet still i mean 70 how do you how do you reckon that with 70 million voters who who support trump 
Yeah, right? I think that's my that's my thing is that I think in in 2016, I think Democrats went so hard on the, you know, and even like white senators, like I know Sherrod Brown was like, you know, we need to get back on, you know, the economic, you know, populism. And it's like, it's not necessarily about that. Like it's deeper. If you think that's what these voters are all, that's why they're supporting Trump. I think everyone's misguided or they're not, there's a lack of realization behind what drives these people to vote for Trump. It's not the fact that, you know, oh, it's my 401k. A lot of people don't have 401ks. So there's something else that's bringing them in. And I white think that, supremacy, right? White so grievance that, politics. Yeah, and I think that Democrats and especially Democratic politicians, it's like they're trying to appeal to these like better angels, like not understanding that like black folk are catching hell. Like that's why they're like supporting this. And I yeah. think that I just there's a disconnect with the campaign, and I think how we see it, and I think that's a problem that I frankly don't think is going to go away because I think white people always want to see themselves as better even and though so, everything else says that they're not. And I'll say, watch the next, so after we get over this hump, um, <laughs> which is like such a, like putting it super lightly, mm-hmm. once, we, once, we're, once we're in, I mean, okay, so let's say, you know, January, 2021, if we are indeed looking at a Biden White House and a Democrat held uh, house and like maybe a Democrat held Senate or a, or a Republican held Senate, um, we have, I think, I think black voters now are in a position to, and to really say, we delivered this for you from the beginning, since the primary, President Biden. Now you need to deliver for us. Here are our policy priorities. Here's what we want to see um, happen in the next four years. And how quickly can you start acting on this? And the response from Democratic leadership is, is, is going to be uh, I think what, what, give, what gets us closer to the answer of whether or not Democrat strategy um, of, of trying to appeal to white moderates in addition to shoring up black enthusiasm is one that can also yield meaningful uh, like policy or just like a, a meaningful change like in black communities that are really, really, as you said, Noah and Henry, like we really need it. You know, this virus has killed one in every 1,000 Black Americans. I'm sure all of us know someone or have lost someone to it by now. The economic downturn as a result of the virus has hurt us the most. Mm -hmm. Um, And even on top of that, we still find ourselves disproportionately impacted by mass incarceration, by joblessness before the pandemic hit by housing discrimination, by healthcare discrimination before the pandemic hit. I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on and we've just, I think, unfortunately, um, been really desensitized to it. But the good thing is we're in, you know, black voters and, and black politicians, well, black voters and black people are in a position to demand more and black politicians um, will have to do more than represent. They'll have to show and prove. That's yeah. honestly my biggest fear. <laughs> I definitely agree. That, I do think it'll be a yeah. shift. Wait, um, your biggest fear is what? Is what? Um, that they won't do that. I think there's a lot of evidence that says that um, even CBC members and just Democratic members of Congress are always skittish about actually going there for mm-hmm. the fear of rebuke. And I think that this is going to say a lot, like when, when the House starts, are they going to do that HR1 that includes like voting rights or 
you know, are those moderate members going to say, oh, this is too far left when it's not too far left. It's just me getting rights for the first time. And, that, and, and that, I think that's. Hold I, on, I think we I, cut. I'm, I think we cut Mackenzie off. I'm sorry, yeah, Mackenzie. We did. Sorry. Um, no, I was just gonna say. Honestly, I do think it'll be a shift, or I hope so. I hope people do really hold them accountable in some way, some capacity, because I do think this year, people just all over with 2020. People, I just feel like are just fed up with being getting constantly getting the short end of the stick, and just everything that's has happened this year. I do feel like. I don't know. People are ready to like really hold politicians accountable. So I, I do. I hope it's a shift and I hope that they, you know, do what they can. I don't think it can be accomplished in four years. I really think honestly for presidency, I think at eight years is really yeah. the most you can really do, honestly. If, unless if you're progressive. So like it, how how do we as citizens, people, whatever, hold these people accountable? Because I think that's what a lot of young people struggle with. Okay, where do I fit in outside of talking on social media? Well, as of now, we still live in a democracy. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the, 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 the cleanest answer to that question is vote them in or vote them out. And mm-hmm. if they're not doing what, what you want, I mean, you have, you are, we are, we do have an audience with all of our elected officials we're supposed to, um, to have access to these people and to demand more of them to make the calls that we need. And if they don't listen, um, you know, protest and and vote them out. I mean, that's that's like the 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 cleanest answer. However, the reality, you know, we've done all of that, right? Yeah. Like, like we've tried yeah. that. We've employed those tools. So I think, you know, part of this has to also be like, what what else what else do we have in our in our in our toolbox here? And I would say look to the work that activists with the movement for black lives are doing, not just through, um, you know, trying to hold national and, and federal elected officials accountable, but really making changes on the local level, trying to take care of members of their community. Local politics are arguably, you know, more important. Well, I won't say more important, but I have a more direct impact um, on, on us. And, and I think we just have to keep, we have to keep thinking and planning. There's, a, there's also a real crisis of imagination in this country. We've yeah. only learned how to, how to work within the system. And if then this summer has really taught us that the system uh, is not really working for us. Right, and I would also say- And we say- are like, what, 23, 24, 25 year olds who stand to inherit all of this? I mean, yeah. you know, so we have to really do some, we have to think too. I think as a, the voting system needs to change first. Right. That's, that part. I think that's what us as us as young people we need to focus on how to de- de- uh, get that electoral uh, college dismantled. Because, okay. and, <laughs> and I would also say it's uh, and term limits on the Supreme Court. But go ahead, Noah. My bad. I was gonna say it's hard to focus on a problem that's not ours. I'm not racist to myself. Mm. White, I white mean, people, I mean, white people no, work too. But no, that's I, real though. That's real. Just, yeah. That's real. That's real. Okay, but if not you, then who? If not now, then and I think that's a. I think I'm. Oh, I, we don't need to say that. Save anymore. that for another day. Yeah, <laughs> we don't need. Yeah, that's that's too cliche. So anywho, my take us to church today. So my we will try. Let me try. So we will be, thank you, Maya, for joining us once again. We will be sure uh, to follow all of your stories. I think I know your Twitter. It's Maya A. King. Yes. Okay, Maya A. King on Twitter. Be sure to follow all of her writing on Politico. She will be 
busy all year because 2020 is that kind of year. Ooh. So Ooh. be sure to follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at WRGOPod. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube at What's Really Going On. Like, listen, subscribe, and comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. And finally, be sure to check out our website, What's Really Going On Pod. Dot com. Maya, thanks again. Thanks for having me, guys.